Our scripture passage today is from the book of Genesis, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is God's word. Please be seated. Well, it's great uh, to be back with you. My name is Gabe Coyle. I'm the campus pastor here at Christ Communities downtown campus. And I wanted to just start off by saying thank you to everybody who was praying for me last weekend. Uh, I finished a 100-mile marathon in 28 hours and 25 minutes. So... um, and honestly, just felt you guys' prayers the whole way. I was doing it with a buddy of mine who is like a brother to me. We've been friends since seventh grade, so way back when, when we were all awkward in middle school and uh, trying to figure out life. And his older brother was like a brother to me, and he'd passed away unexpectedly about a year and a half ago. And so we decided to do something insane uh, in his name and his honor and also to raise some money uh, for an organization he was passionate about called Equitas in Africa who helps build schools specifically in this town called Malawi. So um, through your prayers and energy and support, um, we finished on time with an hour and a half to spare with the cutoff, and it was an amazing, amazing memory. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for your support and encouragement there. And with all of that, um, let me pray for our time together, okay? Dear God, thank you for your word. God, we often are just reaching around, um, looking around, so many times just trying to figure out what it means to live the life you've called us to live, that you've designed us to live, a life to its fullest in many ways. And you haven't left us without guidance. And so this morning as we come, this morning as we gather in the name of Jesus, may your word speak to us afresh. May we have ears to hear, eyes to see and hearts that are willing to be molded by your word for your glory. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we've all had that moment, haven't we, when we've heard seven really powerful words. They they either came off of the, the lips of a teacher, a parent, maybe a Sesame Street character. I don't know. Who raised you the most? <laughs> Depending on your parents, it might have been TV. Yeah, you know, hey, just speaking from experience. But... Uh, there comes that moment where you hear these seven most powerful words that, that inspire like preschool finger paintings, that inspire high school midsummer daydreams and a lot of scribbles in girls' diaries. Here are the seven words. Here are the seven words. You can be anything you want to be, right? How many of you heard that growing up? Oh yeah, almost everybody, even though you don't want to raise your hand. And I know, okay, I get it, I get it. There was always that one kid who's like, I want to be a unicorn. And I was like, come on. Like, there's always that one kid that kind of ruined it for the rest of us. But the reality is, but the reality is, we live, we live in this unbelievable time. This unbelievable time where that's actually more true than it's ever been true in human history. We live in a time when we have this unpa- un- these unparalleled choices as to where to live, how to live, and really, you know, what to do with our lives. And that isn't to say, you know, that there aren't great inequalities still in the world. In another sense, the world's just as messy as it was 2,000 years ago. We see some of that with the catastrophe of Hurricane Harvey down in Texas, and our prayers go out to brothers and sisters and other human beings who are going through great, great difficulty. But in another sense, 
We have this time in history where more people have opportunities to chase their passions, to live out their gifts, to vote for their leaders, to choose what they believe without hurt and without, you know, pain that comes in response to their beliefs, and, and to do work that they deeply enjoy. That's really amazing about this time in history that we find ourselves. But amidst all these choices, there is a cost. There is a cost. I mean, the shadow side of a world with these unparalleled choices is the dark cloud, and many psychologists are noting, noticing this, of the unparalleled anxiety that plagues our culture. Because amidst all these choices, every response comes with this burden of responsibility. Every choice upon choice upon choice becomes heavier and can become heavier and heavier. I mean, choices like, do I go to college or do I go to technical school? What college do I go to in the first place? Do I pick one that's in-state, that's cheaper, or one that's out-of-state that might grant greater influence my job? What job do I choose? Do I choose a job that I, that I think I can get easily or a job that I'd really enjoy, a job that maybe I'd be qualified for? Where do I live? When I do move to that city, which church do I plug into? And if I do pick that church, what ministry do I plug into? You know, all the way to what olive oil should I buy? I mean, you're in the store and you think, should I get the one that mom always got? Which one did mom get? You know, do I go by price? Do I research taste? Do I get virgin, extra virgin, not so virgin? Do I like cook with vegetable oil? What choice, like how do you navigate all of these choices upon choices? And what we hear in almost every kid's story, every coming of age story in really the past 20 years the one moral imperative that continues to ring true is this, is this understanding. And really, it, it's off of every Disney character's lips. And I know this because I've got two kids and they watch a lot of Disney. And every PBS special echoes this truth that if you want to make choices that lead to happiness, that lead to fulfillment, whatever you do, just be true to yourself, Right? Know your heart, know your passions, get to know what you feel like you really want to do and chase them. But whatever you do, just be true to yourself. And listen, you're not, you're not going to hear me this morning give some raging diatribe as to why that's completely wrong. That's not what you're going to hear this morning. What I want to first say, though, and just recognize is that that's what we hear, isn't it? It's a baseline assumption. Like it's, it's on every J. Crew catalog. It's wrapped up in every uniquely made Chipotle burrito. Its promise is hope. It tastes good. It feels like peace. It sounds like gospel. But the question we, we consistently come back to if we really want to lead a thoughtful life is, is it a story worth living? Is it a story worth living? I mean, is it good enough? Is it big enough for, for all of life? And today we're going to press into that a little bit. What does it mean to be true to yourself? Now, if you weren't here with us last week, we're in week two of a series where we're pressing into some of these baseline assumptions we have in our city. These things that feel like gut level reactions, like the, oh, of course you would kind of moments, but we don't necessarily know where they come from. And so we're pressing into them. And we're looking at how these stories, they form us as individuals and as a people and as a city. Because nothing determines the story you live like the story we tell ourselves, right? The story about ultimate reality, about what we think and tell ourselves is real. And the beauty of this is that we're not left scrambling. God has given us the a, a particular book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, that was written to give us just such a story. 
You see, Genesis wasn't written just to satisfy our curiosities as to how or when the world came about. It's much bigger than that. It was actually written as God's people left Egypt to give them a new story, different from the enslaving stories that left them in bondage that were in Egypt and then in the new land of Canaan as they were entering in. And this story, it's timeless. And we need to hear it just as much today as they needed to hear it then. Be true to yourself. There's a lot to that statement that resonates with the way that the world actually is. But the question is, is it enough? And we're going to look at that together. So if you haven't already, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1. And as we mentioned last week, we can't answer every question this morning. And so that you know this isn't just a pure monologue, you can text in questions to this number up here throughout the sermon, or you can text your friends, and I'm going to think you're texting questions. So now you've got like a free reign to do whatever you want, I guess. Um, Text them in throughout the sermon, throughout the service, and then tomorrow we're going to have a Facebook Live event. We're doing these every week throughout this series, where we're navigating some of these questions to continue to press deeper into that, because we know this morning is not enough. And probably that Facebook Live event's not going to be enough either, but it's a way to go a little bit deeper together and do a little more dialogue rather than monologue. Well, as you're there in Genesis 1, if you read through kind of this lyric poetry of Genesis 1, I'm going to do a little review of where we were last week, but you see God creating and ordering the universe day by day by day by day. There's like this rhythm in the way it goes. And you see God makes distinctions between light and dark, water and ground. We see his creativity in the plants with the shrubs, trees, and ivy. He gives the planets their vibrancy and puts them in their orbit. We see he gives the birds the the nature of flight and fish the ability to flourish and water. And then he creates bugs like a lot of stinking bugs, like all these creepy crawly things, these smack kind of bugs, like get off me kind of bugs. And then, sorry, but then uh, God has this heyday making all different kinds of of animals when you get to day six. And how does God describe it all? We talked about that last week. How does God describe it all? Good. It's good. But God wasn't done yet. The pinnacle of his creation, the height of it all is humankind, you and me. And it's not because we were created last. It's not like we've saved the best for last. And just because we're in the last on the list, we're the best or that we're the most developed or the most complex. That's not why we're the pinnacle of God's creation. And he gives us, we see in the text here some hints along the way. For example, in each of the days preceding and all the other things God creates, we we see here that that God says, let there be. Let there be. Verse 3, let there be light. Verse 6, let there be an expanse. All the way to verse 24, let the earth bring forth these living creatures, these animals. But then you get to verse 26 and what do we read? Suddenly the language changes. Let us make man. Let us make mankind. God almost pauses to to reflect and intentionally and thoughtfully and personally takes on this unique nature in which he engages the creation of humankind over against the rest of creation. And then there's something else. In every other creature God creates, he creates them according to their kind. According to their kind. Over and over again, it's there in verse 12. It's there in verse 21, in verse 24, verse 25. But when we get to verse 26, once again, here's the difference. It's setting humankind over against the rest of creation. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. 
Not, a, not according to their kind, okay? But like me. And this word image here, it's, it's most often used in the Bible to describe an idol, interestingly enough. An image that represents what a deity, what a God is like. And we see that in the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Something that represents a deity and then you therefore worship it. But when God could create humanity any way he chose, and when he could have chosen any way to describe the way he created humanity, he wants us to be explicitly clear that he chose to make us like him. And when this plays out, when God makes Adam and Eve this first couple, what then is the word that he speaks over all of creation? Ah, it is finally decent. No, like it's another uptick. It's very good, right? And this is where, this is really important. This is where this call to be true to yourself really begins to resonate with what is true in the world, with the way that God has made the world. It connects with who God has made us to be. The longing to be true to yourself rings so true because, listen, this is really important. Your true self is the best thing God made. Your true self the way that God has made you is the best thing that God has made. Anything that has been made, your true self is the best thing that God has made. And I know that kind of sounds like an Oprah moment, and I'm not going to tell you to look under your chairs or anything. I wish I could have that, you know, look under your chairs, right? Like, that would be fun. But, but I'm serious, and, and I want you to know that God is really serious here. God didn't make us like anything else in creation. He doesn't make any two people, although we've got doppelgangers, but they're still different. Like he doesn't make any two people, not even identical twins, are, you know, completely identical in every single way, even in their personalities. No two people have the same build, the same pigmentation, the same gender, the same laugh, the same way we think or feel. We're, we're made in the image of a God that is so big so robust that all of humanity with its infinite diversity could never exhaust his infinite beauty. That's what he's made. And this is partly why throughout history, you know, making idols of God was prohibited. Because we already have beautiful images of God sitting next to us this morning. We have beautiful images of God when you're standing there in the grocery line ticked off that they don't know how to use their debit card. We still have beautiful images of God sitting next to us on the streetcar when you're on your way to work or church. God has given us so many pictures of himself. Each person endowed with unique talents, gifts, humor, analytics, and passions. Your true self really is the best thing God has made. And that's true for each and every one of us this morning. God has endowed a glorious you to be true to. Don't miss that. If you've been in the church for a while, sometimes we get so quick to jump to, yeah, but I'm a sinner and I'm broken. We'll get there. But don't miss that you're beautiful and God intentionally made you to reflect his beauty. This is good. So, if that's true, if the, your, your true self is the best thing that God made, should we... Should we just be true to ourselves? Should we spend our lives chasing after that true self? And this is where it starts to get a little hairy, okay? Because actually chasing your true self will only leave you running. 
And you're like, wait a second, Gabe. You just said that my true self is the best thing that God made. Shouldn't, I mean, shouldn't I chase after that? Not quite. Not if that's the only thing you're running after. What do I mean? Well, one movie I heard in the backseat of my car with two kids over and over and over on the way to South Dakota and back for that race was the movie Frozen. It's not a new movie, right? Okay, it's, it's starting to get aged, I guess, in the world of Disney characters. Um, but there's no better example of someone chasing her true self than Elsa. No one. Her society's trying to make her this dignified queen. Hide it. Don't show it, right? But instead, she lets it go in order to express what she's been holding inside, and as she lets it go, singing, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free, she becomes the ice queen with her own castle. I know a lot of details about this movie. <laughs> the ice queen of her own castle, and she finally finds fulfillment and happiness, being all that she is and that she's been hiding. Except that's not what happens, is it? <laughs> when she finally is the fullest and the, what she felt like was the truest self with no, no boundaries, And she chases after her true self at the expense of everything and everyone else. When she lets all of her iciness out, what happens? She feels like the only self she can be is one of isolation. And simultaneously, it nearly destroys everyone around her, especially her sister, the one she loves the most. Really frozen, if you want to start to dissect this movie and be way more complex than probably the authors were intending, frozen is a whole story where Elsa realizes that her theme song is untrue and unlivable. And then there's Anna, right? Oh, Anna, so often overlooked. Elsa gets all the press. But Anna, she's the real hero here. She takes the opposite path, willing to die for her sister, willing to be true to Elsa rather than true to herself. And by the end, Elsa chooses to limit her freedom for the sake of her sister and the kingdom, for a better way to live, moving from total self-expression to deliberate self-control. And, and here's the problem, okay? If you, if you want to live your life just chasing after your true self, if that becomes the primary paradigm in which you navigate your life, here's the problem. The problem is we just don't know what we want. We don't know what we want. To follow your heart, you have to know what your heart wants, but we don't know what we want, what we really, really want, do we? <laughs> I tried to be slow and slow, you know, whatever. They're still there. This corniness has not been beaten out with 100 miles. It's just been refined. Um, but listen, if you keep reading Genesis, what do we see with Adam and Eve, right? This first couple of humankind, they thought they knew exactly what they wanted. They wanted the innocence and the beauty and the perfection of the garden, but they wanted to do things their own way. And they couldn't have both. And so in the moment, what did they do? They chose death. They were tempted and chose death. And so death spread to all mankind. And now our desires are a bit murky and messy. And life can feel schizophrenic at times, can't it? Like, okay, I want to be a good friend. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good coworker. But I also want to do other things that make me not those people. And choosing which is right feels like my body is being torn in two. I, I want to work out and feel healthy and fit, but I want to eat a lot of pizza because I love pizza. <laughs> and in one sense, we want to belt out no right, no wrong, 
no rules for me, and we want to feel free even to be in an ice castle all by ourselves, but we know that that isn't enough. And to make matters worse, what I want always seems to be changing. <laughs> if I did everything exactly and got everything I wanted when I was five, it'd be a lot of Legos and, you know, McDonald's Happy Meals. <laughs> and I'd be a large, a very obese man with a weird dexterity for Legos at this point in my life. Not that if you still like Legos, that's awesome, because Legos are still fun. But, but listen, if I could not be happy with just what I wanted when I was five. Well, what about when I was 18, when I was officially an adult in our cultural sense? Should you be true to yourself then or listen to the wisdom of your elders? What about when you're 24? I'm in my 30s now, and I've made a lot of stupid decisions, and I look back at a lot of the things I thought I wanted, and I'm so glad I didn't get. Well, maybe when I'm 40, 50, 60, 80... When is the age when you feel like your desires have been baptized enough that they reveal the true you and will bring happiness and fulfillment? Because they're always changing. And maybe you're thinking, but Gabe, I know what I want. I really do. Well, chances are you're still not deep thinking deeply enough about what you think you want. Because for every person, this is really important when it comes to not knowing what we want, our culture still dictates what we express and what we suppress about what we want. Here's an example. If, if you lived in the first century, Rome, and you were a violent person, you'd be encouraged. You'd be raised, you know, to, to actually express that and celebrate that desire because real men fight. And so go into battle and get the heathens to submit, right, to the Pax Romana, this was good, and, and when the time came, the whole town would come out and celebrate the Roman military, and you would go out as a hero within your culture. But at the same time, let's say you were attracted to the same sex. Culturally, this was a sign of, of weakness, embarrassment, but within, but within you is both. Which do you choose? Your culture says one is good and the other is, is bad, but which, which are you going to be true to? Because you really can't choose both. You see, today in our culture, the reverse is true. If you're violent, we put you in anger management and say you definitely shouldn't go into the military. But if you're someone who experiences same-sex attraction, you're celebrated, you know, given a movie and, and said this is what it means to be true to yourself. If you have both desires, chances are good, you will want whatever your culture tells you to want which isn't being true to yourself, it's actually being true to everyone else around you. And that can feel enslaving, confusing, and feel like you're standing on an ever-shifting ground. We don't know what we want. We don't. We think we do, but, but those desires might change or our culture may tell us one thing and then culture may change and then people have an identity crisis because a culture that used to suppress it now celebrates it. Do I now live into this new story? We see this time and again. And this isn't anything new. Actually, the prophet Jeremiah, when God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah, he spoke a timeless truth about the way our heart is until Christ returns. He says, our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So when you just, when it's just about your desires, what you're experiencing in the moment, and in a world with so many choices and freedoms, you can find yourself at best living this selfishly authentic life, and at worst, in the midst of all of these choices, you can find yourself paralyzed with despair. 
Chasing your true self only leaves you running. So now we're kind of stuck in a spot, aren't we? If your true self is the best thing God made, like you are made in his image, you're beautiful. And yet chasing your true self will only leave you running. What do we do? How do we become the best versions of ourselves and simultaneously be known and know others, receive love and give love to others in sustaining relationships? To hear, actually, that it is very good from our maker. Well, we get that initial hint all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Here it is. Please don't miss this. This is really important. You are your truest self when true to someone else. You are your truest self when you're true to someone else. The only way to be true to yourself is actually to be true to your maker because you're made in his image. Knowing who he is is how we discover who we are in the depths that we can't even begin to fathom. And you're, recre- you're created to reflect life in him, not apart from him. You're your truest self when you're true to someone else, when you're true to your maker. And if it's not that, it feels like you're just drawing a picture of yourself, looking in a mirror. And no matter how far you get in that sketch, it looks like the sketch is hollow because something is missing. Because the light of life is not hidden within yourself, it's hidden within someone else, someone bigger than yourself, bigger than our culture. It's hidden in our maker. And if we allow anything or anyone else to ultimately define ourselves, yes, even our desires, it will never be enough. And here's why I think this is a freeing statement, okay? It can feel a bit like, okay, now I have to get to know this this maker. Now, now I feel like, okay, I, I'm locked into this one person and I'm not free to express what I feel like I'm desiring. This is why this is freeing. If you choose to be true to him, that means when your desires clash, which they will for every single one of us, he's going to show you the better way. What we were made for, your truest self. When our culture changes, which it always does, his long road to wholeness will remain constant. Doesn't mean that we have better clarity along the way, sure, but it remains constant. And of course, when our desires are just plain destructive, he offers us a new heart. That doesn't mean those desires go away, go away. Sometimes it's a long journey, sometimes it's quick. And I don't say that tritely. But if you're here this morning and you're tired of writing your own story, if if you're done with this endless running, You've been told to be true to yourself and, you're, and you don't even know who you are. In the song, Wake Up, it's like I've been chasing after myself, but this whole time I've been lost. You're trying to fit into every shifting culture or every changing desire. Then this morning, this week, be true to someone else. And, and here's, here's a new slogan we can start to slap on our lives. Before we ever get to be true to yourself, tomorrow when you go into work, when you're having those conversations, when you wake up in the, in the, in the morning, Think this first. Let God tell you who you are. Let God tell you who you are. 
That's got to be step one. When you're in that conversation and you're about to go into employee review or you're about to meet with parents that have been estranged for a period of time, when you're about to have that conversation with a friend that's been broken over a period or in the midst of a failure or even in the midst of a success, stop there and let God tell you who you are. Because who are you? Who is your truest self? What is he saying about us here in his story? He's saying, you're the image of me. You're the image of God. To be clear, you're not God, but in him you were made in his image. And in a way that nobody else was made in his image. You image him. That's not something you achieve either. It's not something you earn when you're in conversations with other human beings. That's not something they need to earn when they're with you. You don't work hard and finally arrive at it. It's the way God made you. And you don't have to prove yourself to anyone. You are made in his image. And please hear me. The very fact that you exist is God saying to you, you are loved. You are valued. So much so that even though you run from me, even though you sin against me time and again, even though you lean into destructive desires that destroy you and destroy the ones that you love and the ones that I love even more than you love, I'll continue to chase after you. I'll continue to pursue you. Because in me, you'll find your truest self. And so in one sense, to prove his love and in another sense, to make our truest selves even possible he sends his son, Jesus. God become flesh. And if you want to see the truest person who's ever lived, the one who lived humanity, the, the way it was designed to be lived, look no further than Jesus the Christ. And it's not like he had an easy beginning, right? He was conceived out of wedlock, an outcast. He was raised a carpenter. And then in another sense, it looks a lot like the opportunities we have today because he bucked the norms of raising a biological family of his own. He kind of does his own thing over against the cultural narrative. And he was boldly single and he starts this movement. His morals, they both challenged and affirmed culture because they were bigger than the culture. And if you read the gospel accounts, his desires were never exclusive, exclusively his own, were they? But time and again, he says, I want what the father wants. Even there, the son of God finds his identity intimately interconnected with what God the Father wanted in the world. And he taught that to find our lives, to find our truest selves, we have to lose them, to give ourselves. And then he went to the cross and he gave of himself for you and me. And three days later, he rose again and he stands waiting to offer us life that never ends to become more of our truest selves every day, the kinds of people we were designed to be into eternity. And if we'll let God show us who we are, if we let him tell us who we are, we'll hear him say, you are beautiful and you are my creature, but you also need a savior because only in Christ can we become who we already are, our truest selves. And what you'll find over time, remember this question we wrestled with is that we live in this unparalleled period of choice, and it usually comes with this accompaniment of unparalleled anxiety. Instead of now having this unparalleled anxiety, when we let God tell us who we are, not that all anxiety goes away, but what we find is now when we have the fruit of the Spirit begin to leak into our life. 
The unique gifts, passions, and talents that God has given you now become infused with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And who doesn't want that kind of life? Those kinds of people that you're around and you say, I want to be more like them. I, I want them to be in my life. That is what Christ is offering us in himself. And the Apostle Paul is one of the most brilliant examples of the one who understand, understood all of that. When you get to Galatians, he's writing this church in, in Galatia. And I love the way he says this. My wife has this tattooed on her arm. <laughs> and it's not the only reason why I love this passage, but... But the Apostle Paul, when talking about who he is and letting God tell him who he is, he writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This morning, this week, as you go to work, when you wrestle with who you are, will you let God tell you who you are? who you can be in Christ, that's the kind of you that you're going to want to be true to. Let's pray. God, I know there are so many other questions, so many other parts to this broader cultural narrative as well as the story you're telling in your word that could have been navigated this morning. But I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would convict our hearts and we would find more of our identity and who you've made us to be in relation to you rather than isolation from others and the wavering seas of our own desires. God, may we submit to Christ. May we embrace his death as sufficient. May we follow him in our lives and with the hope of resurrection life, both here now and for eternity. May you give us but just a glimpse of our truest selves as we hold fast to you. We love you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.